Hello, Georgia. Hello, Metro Augusta. And hello, wherever you are. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the May 31st edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. You can learn more about the firm at my website, and that is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. If you have not already, please follow Local Matters on Facebook. And of course, every now and then we drop a video. So please also subscribe on YouTube so you'll get notifications when we drop something new. Today, I am joined by attorney Tanya Jeffords, and we're going to take on a very serious topic, and that relates to the experiences of African-Americans with law enforcement. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to remind you of last week's show. Uh, we had Benish Brown, who is with Destination Augusta, formerly the Augusta Convention and Visitors Bureau. He was in and he took on that topic that everybody talks about, which is whether there's anything to do in Augusta. So please listen to that. I know some, some of you have already kind of decided, well, there's nothing that he can tell me. You know, we already know there's nothing here. Uh, he really takes on that question head on uh, and addresses some of the things that he thinks are worthy of your attention, whether you live in the Augusta area or not. So the way to get to that, um, the podcast version is on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. But if any of that is too complicated for you, just go straight to YouTube because we actually did do a video on this particular topic. The YouTube channel, of course, is the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia. So please uh, go look that up. Please subscribe while you're there and take a listen to our conversation. It's about 30 minutes long. And of course, we've also already said that we want to bring him back because there is so much more um, that he can discuss. So if you have any comments or questions about things he said, please leave those in the comment section on YouTube so that he can address those when he comes back next time. Again, thanks so much for being a part of our Local Matters family. Local Matters family, today we are joined by attorney Tanya Jeffords. She's going to come in and talk about something that we've talked about off and on here in Local Matters, and that has to do with public safety and the criminal justice system and how all of that works sometimes in the interest of the public, and maybe sometimes you wonder if it really is working in the interest of the public, especially in regard to African-Americans. Uh, Attorney Jeffords, how are you today? I'm doing great on this Memorial Day. Thankful to be here and celebrating those that we have lost and in serving great. our country. That's great. Thanks so much for making yourself available to listeners. Um, as you know, our focus is on state and local government issues and um, basically what we can do to help the public become more engaged. Uh, our philosophy is that you can't become more engaged unless you have more knowledge. So we appreciate you being here today to share some of the knowledge that you have gleaned uh, over the years in our court system. Um, 
But before we get started with that, I would like for you to give our listeners a little bit about your background, um, you know, how and why you chose to become an attorney, why you chose the type of law that you do practice. So if you could just start off with that, I think it would be helpful for everybody. Well, thank you, Janice, for having me. I appreciate that. Again, I'm Tanya Jeffords, and I'm a local attorney. I have offices in Aiken and in Augusta, licensed in both states. I practice in the areas of employment and labor law, criminal defense, and personal injury. I'm actually a trial lawyer. And so, you know, what we do is we just basically are there to help people when they can't agree what the solution is to the problem. And I got into law because that's really what lawyers are supposed to do. We help people through their issues, through their problems. If you're having an accident, you get into a car accident or a train accident or, you know, you're sexually assaulted. You know, you need to go to somebody to say, what can the law do about this? If you get charged with a crime or your child gets charged with a crime and you don't know how the legal system works, you want to go to a lawyer to figure out, well, how do I navigate the system? How does it work? If you are in your employer and you're having issues on your job and you know that they can't discriminate against you based upon your race, sex, gender, even though we're at well state in South Carolina and Georgia, you know, how do I navigate through this? And so I became an attorney to do just that, to help people navigate through the problems that they have. But I think even more importantly, I remember when I was a young girl, I just wanted to be able to have a voice and to give people a voice. And that's kind of what lawyers do. We give people a voice in the courtroom, outside of the courtroom, and we are activists in our community for change. And so that is what I do as a trial lawyer. And there's a difference between trial lawyers and, and, and people who don't try cases. And that is when you don't agree, we're willing to put 12 in the box and get other people to decide. And that is probably my true passion is helping young people through our nonprofit Dream Builders of America's Youth and trying cases. <laughs> Thank you. Now, are you from the Augusta area? I'm originally from California. I moved here in 1992 to attend Augusta State University, and then I went to Mercer for law school and have been here ever since. So people come all the way from California to go to Augusta University. Well, I did tell you, the first I, person I heard say that. Well, I will tell you, I actually thought that Augusta was right outside of Atlanta. And because I was from California, you know, there's a new city every 15, 20 minutes. I didn't want to be in the heart of the city. I had gone to school in LA and in San Francisco, fashion design school. And so when I came here to go to school, they said it was the second largest metropolitan city and it was right outside of Atlanta. I was like, oh, good. I don't want to be right in the middle of the heart of the city, like in LA again. So that's how I ended up in Augusta, but it's been really good to me. I mean, I love it here. In fact, my entire family has moved here except for my brother. Okay. Wow. That's fantastic. Great story. Um, as we get to the heart of what we're here to discuss today, um, I really wanted to follow up on a discussion that we had because my listeners are aware uh, back in April, we did a forum at Payne College uh, where you were one of several panelists uh, and I got a chance to moderate that session of course, and we talked about a lot of issues related to knowing your rights, uh, what to do when you're stopped by police, why it is that there's such a fragile and fractured relationship between African-Americans and law enforcement. Um, and we talked about you know, some possible solutions and things. So we, we discussed all that back on April 20th. In fact, we got part two coming up on June 1st. 
where you'll be a panelist again and I'll get a chance to moderate again. Uh, and I sort of wanted to give our guests, our listeners, some insight into just all the things that are happening and what maybe could be different about it. And as we do that, the first thing I want to cover was this dynamic between police and African-Americans. Why do you believe that dynamic is so fragile and fragile or strained or whatever word it is you want to use to describe that? Well, I think, and particularly here in the South, but throughout the United States, it is just what has always been the role with African-Americans and the law. If you just see the evolution of our constitution, which I think is a beautiful thing, and it's a negative thing. You start out with a constitution and you really don't even know how it applies until you start dealing with people of color. You have to become a citizen. You have to have a right to vote. You have to have a right to carry a weapon. You have to, we had to fight for these rights as African-Americans. So the essence of the country and how it's been built is on the backs of our struggle to be deemed as human beings. And so that's the fragile balance that we have is that our constitution lives and breathes because we have fought for those ideals to apply to even those people of color. And so that's where I think that that we're still dealing with that in 2021, 2022, 2023, is how do we apply the law to people evenly and to be able to achieve the ideals that we say this country stands for. And I think it's not necessarily we're not where we used to be. I just think we have a ways to go. And the best way to get there is to be frank and have good discussions about it. And don't just focus on the problem, but focus on what is the solution to the problem. And as long as we keep our mind on where God can bring us and take us to and how far he's brought us from, I think we can always look at it from a positive perspective. And that's kind of my my goal is like, let's come together and develop a five-point plan that says we can do better. And to that is to achieve the ideals that this country has and I let them apply to everybody. And as you talk about a five-point plan, who is it that should be taking the lead and making sure that such a plan gets developed? I think you have to have a discussion with everybody at the table. You know, one thing I've noticed, you know, when I think about Martin Luther King and being a fabulous leader. I think about Malcolm X being a fabulous leader. I think about Marcus Garvey being a fabulous leader. I think about Nelson Mandela being a fabulous leader. What those people were able to do at some point in time was to bring everybody to the table because solutions cannot be black and white. There are many shades of gray, but we all have to come to the table to figure out what is the most important thing that's going to make us a better country and be able to work together. And when we're just particularly talking about police, what does it mean to protect and serve? Do I only protect some or do I protect and serve everybody, right? What is my approach when I go into a situation? You know, we can do some very clear things and having body cameras on everybody is number one. If police officers have body cams on when they have an initial encounter, that's most offices have that policy and procedure, but they should have the funding for it. They should have body cameras. Why? That protects the police officer and it protects the public from the initial encounter. That will also tell you what your dynamics are of how one of the issues we have is that African-Americans are approached more by the police. They have more interactions with the police from a very young age that begins to build a record that hurts them later on. Whereas police are not heavily prevalent in white neighborhoods or white times, except in a situation to serve them and to protect them. And so that is the shift that we have to make throughout the United States. I think that's 
A, everyone needs to have body cams. And if you don't have body cams, then you don't get the presumption of being right anymore as law enforcement. And I think we do that in civil cases where if there's evidence that's not there, it's called a spoilation of evidence that says that there would have been something there that was negative for you. We don't have that same presumption or jury charge in criminal law, and we should. I don't think that you should lose the right to vote because you get a felony. What is the purpose of that? What does it do? When in fact, studies show that people who are involved in civics, who are involved and feel like they have a voice in their government are less likely probably to commit crimes and to feel like there's nothing in it for them. So you're actually giving somebody a negative when you take away their right to vote. By giving people a voice, they also are invested in things going well. So I think that you, just because you get a felony, you should not lose your right to vote. And certainly when and if you get off probation, you know, there needs to be a concerted effort that people get, get their rights restored to vote, in addition to being restored your right to have a gun. I think that they're, the third thing that we can do is we have to play, pay police officers more money. If you want the best of the best to be patrolling your neighborhoods to protect and to serve you, then treat them like the best of the best. Give them the ability to take care of their families so that they don't have to resort to just being angry with a gun because, you know, what's maybe going on in their own lives. I mean, we are asking police officers to be in the jails. We're asking them to monitor domestic disputes, monitor, be out there on the call if somebody wants to kill somebody. We're asking them to deal with mental health issues. We're asking them to deal with a lot. And, you know, it, it should be a form of respect for the police, but respect is earned and not given. And that's kind of where we're at. We need to get get it back to the city, not back. We need to move forward so that people respect the police from all different avenues and walks of life. So that's very important that we actually pay them more money and get a higher caliber of people going into that field. And in order for us to do that five, I think that we have to have our people who are in leadership working together, both black, white, Chinese, you know, everybody, everybody has to come together to make that dream possible. And you can't just have a panel discussion with five, I say with just all black people on it, because the solution to it is going to require everybody coming together to do it. So the panel discussions, the town hall meetings, all of those, when I look out into the audience, I want to see that white people want to come and figure out what can we do better. And we want to come and say, well, this is what we think you can do better. And then let's find where we have some common ground and can agree. And then we can also agree to disagree on some things, but our walk in life is not the same. But until we all come together and have this discussion, I just don't think we can get better. Uh, you know, you, you brought up several interesting points, one of which related to uh, the notion of felons and voting in Georgia currently. Do felons have the right to vote again? No, you, well, they say that when you can go, when you finish your probation or you finish any of that, I think you can go back to try and restore your right to vote, but it's not like in our plea paperwork. Let's say, for instance, I do a plea with a person. It has maybe 36 questions and it tells you the things that you lose your right to do at the end of it, but never in that plea paperwork across the state does it say anything about you lose your right to vote. And then when you're, when you're, finish with your probation. These are the steps you take to go and restore your right to vote. And so I think that that came up also in the last election where a lot of people were, you know, they were taken off of the rolls because maybe they didn't know that they could go back and get their right to vote. Or I think that we are one of the highest states in the country 
for the number of people on probation. Well, if you have 4 million people on probation for felonies, they're not voting. Okay, gotcha. So 20 um, and 30 year sentences for drugs can keep a lot of people from, from not voting. 20 and 30 year sentences for, you know, death by taking or entering autos and stuff like that. That, that, that was, you know, that's, that just needs to change. All right. Thanks so much. And there's so much I know you gleaned from your particular <laughs> perspective as a criminal defense and civil rights attorney. Um, as you think about everything you've seen in court over all these years, um, what is the one thing that you think the public really ought to know about how the system works, in particular in relationship to people of color? Well, I think that we have a public defender system in the courtroom. And, you know, I think that Judge Ruffin was one that was instrumental in making sure that there was a public defender sentence structure so that people had adequate representation. I just want to make sure that people are represented in the courtroom and that they are fought for. And the first thing that you have to do is to make sure that that person who is accused of a crime is not just a file, that they are a human being with family, kids, and every decision that is made with regard to that person, that human being, has an impact on that family and society in general. And so bringing the human perspective to the criminal defense system, starting with the prosecutors, starting with the police officers who do the, who do the charging, up to the judge who makes the final decision, that is the problem that you have a lot of times with people of color. And, you know, if you don't address your own biases and how you think about the world when you're representing them or when you're judging them from the bench, you can oftentimes not come up with the best solution that protects society, prevents future crime, you know, and focuses on rehabilitation. So that's knowing how the system works and having good representation is key to us managing our criminal justice system and honoring what the constitution really provides. Because a lot of times I believe that the defendant is always the underdog rather than everybody realizing that we are there in that courtroom to protect that person's right to a jury trial, a non-trial and to a fair resolution, not everybody else. And the reason why that is, is because the constitution protects everybody. If you're innocent until proven guilty, it should really look that way. You're reminding me of all these cases where um, an individual will see, you know, 20 years, 30 years, even 40 or 50 years down the road where somebody was convicted of a murder or a rape or some other serious crime. And then it's proven later with further evidence that the individual was never guilty at all and has wasted away in prison for decades. Um, is that a result of what you're talking about, about how sometimes it's just not recognized that the individual has rights? Well, that they have rights and that you, your job is to fight for them as a defense attorney. Fight that they get every possible break that they can possibly get. Um, I have a case that I just inherited recently in South Carolina where a young man is doing a life sentence for a case that I, I truly believe he's innocent. Well, the DNA evidence that 
put to the crime that he told me was very shady to begin with. But if the jury didn't have anything to weigh when he went to that murder trial to challenge it, right, then what did the jury have to do? There are 12 ordinary people trying to do their job. You, know, you have to give them what they need to make the right decision. And so that's where the fight comes in. That's where the if you don't have the money to hire the lawyer, you don't have the money to hire the expert, you don't have the money to do the things that need to be done, or the person doesn't think that you're worth doing all of that for, it becomes an issue. And so as long as people come through this system, I think you're, it's always going to break down when the adversarial system breaks down and the money is not even on either side to fight the case. All right. Thanks for that. Last question. Um, I think it's the last question. We'll see where we go from here. Um, from everything that you've seen, again, uh, what is it that you wish policymakers at the state and local levels would address? You know, something, is there anything out there that would make a significant difference if it got some attention? And if you could wave a magic wand and make it happen, what would those things be? All police officers would have to wear body cams from the initial point of the encounter with every citizen, period, period. And if you didn't have it, there would be a presumption against you and against the officer that whatever they say that you didn't do right, that you didn't do it right. Two, I think that they need to pay police officers more money and teachers more money. We are putting more money into the incarceration of people than what we're putting into the building up of our police officers and building up of our youth. And I think that's the other thing is we have got to focus on the youth. And I don't think that we do that. I think that our money is just placed in the wrong way. We would rather spend you know, $17,000 a year to incarcerate somebody for a property crime than to spend $17,000 a year to make sure that these kids out here who are six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, who can't get to a practice, who can't get to an extracurricular activity because their parents may not have the means that we can't get them a bus system or some program for them to go to so that they don't have to go into gangs. Gangs are nothing but the interest point for where you are in your life. And we have, as a, we have a duty as a society to make those children who do not have the means to be able to get to those places, we need to help them. So my top things would be that, you know, body cam for the police, more money for the police and more money invested in our youth and helping those parents who do not have to get their kids into positive places with positive people and positive things. There's just no, there's just no reason for it. We talk a lot, but we just have our priorities in the wrong place monetary wise. Every time I see a billion dollars go over to Ukraine, I'm very, very upset because I go down to the bottom. I read to my kids and I would just like for them to have a bus during the summer that took them to a math program, took them to a reading program, took them to a summer explosion program, you know, help those parents to do that. But, you know, there's no funding for that. There's no bus for that. No, we can't do that. We can't take them on trips in the school system. I don't even think the kids are going. They should have all gone to the African-American Smithsonian in DC. They should have all gone to the 9-11 Memorial in DC, the whites and the blacks, everybody should have gone. But we're just not focusing on those things. We're too busy fighting about what we're going to take out of their curriculum rather than what we're going to put into it to make them well-rounded citizens. Janice, I could talk about this all day long. So I know you know, I'm just giving you my career, but you know, I have I have literally made a list of these things because I'm hoping that somebody out there will 
just come up with a five point plan, something that we know we can look at for five years and say, have we achieved an objective? That's how you do something. You come together and you figure out some things that you can do. Giving the right to vote is a very simple thing that can enfranchise a whole lot of people. But the purpose was to disenfranchise. So, you know, you're fighting that mindset, first of all. And as you continue to go back to this notion of a five-point plan, um, and which is never a bad idea, there's always got to be, always, there needs to be objectives in place so that we can figure out where we're going. Um, do you get the sense that that's ever going to happen? I do. And let me tell you why. I feel, I feel that it can happen because somebody had a plan to overturn Roe versus B. Wade. They had a 50 year plan. They strategically planned that and got it just where it needed to be. We've done this in the past. We are the ones who got the voting rights bill passed. People came in to say that we could have equal housing. There's so many, so much progress we have made in the country because somebody and people got together and said, this is what is necessary. So just as I've seen it kind of go back with taking away women's right to choose and, and this Roe v. Wade getting kind of overturned. Well, I can respect that they had a mission and they believed in it and they went forward with it. Whereas the other mission on these things that I'm talking about to make sure that there is a synergy between the police and the, the, the people that you are protecting and serving, and in addition, preserving the values and those things that are in the constitution, right? There needs to be a constitutional society that says, hey, we want it to apply to everybody equally and evenly, and let's really live up to those ideals that we have. I just think that's where we're lacking in the leadership and the vision. And I don't really know which organization should take the lead or is taking the lead, but you know, I think that there are subgroups that are making a lot of progress on their issues, but these bigger, larger issues for African-Americans and for people of color and for our youth today who are just becoming streamlined into the prison system is not happening. Very, very poignant observation. Um, I hope that we do get to a point where there is that type of strategic thinking in place um, because you know once you get goals, hey, these are our five goals, we got to have strategies for each one of those goals in order to accomplish those things. And sometimes it does appear as if um, no one or certainly the right people aren't devoting that type of strategic thought to uh, advancing communities, uh, all communities, period. I think it's the country, period. Uh, but in particular, uh, the, the plight of, of the African-American community. So I thank you for that suggestion. We got about a minute left. Is there anything else you want to say to our Local Matters family? Just that we have to look on the bright side and know that we are moving forward because a lot of times I say, you have to look behind you and look what God has done for you. And we can point to a lot of things of where we've come from as a community. One thing we have to always stop doing is comparing ourselves to other races and to other people. We didn't start in the same place and won't end up in the same place. Choose our own definition of success. You know, and Maya Angelou says, you know, it's liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. So we have to kind of figure out what do we need to, to work together as a unit with ourselves and with those across the aisle to come and say, hey, our youth are gonna have a chance to have a better future than what we had. 
And that's what everybody's looking for. You know, as a mother today of a 16 year old African-American boy, you know, I'm just looking for him to have a better future. I'm looking to not have to have that talk with him that, honey, I just want you to come home alive today. And you know what I'm talking about, Janice, the talk you have to have with your child and the fear that you have when they start to get out there and they may be pulled over. You know, my, I've had that with, you know, guns pulled on my son just because he's driving my Lexus and he made an illegal left turn. He shouldn't have to go through that trauma at such a young age or following him to my front door, say, let's check your ID and make sure you live here. Why should he have ever had to go through any of that? Or somebody telling him because, you know, you need to take a different kind of class because that's for people who go to college. Really? These are really experiences that I've had. And so, and you as a mother, you know, I just want to not have to have that talk. That would be great. And I want to feel comfortable that when you go out, you're going to come back home. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for being a guest here on Local Matters. Once you're a guest, you become a part of the family too. So welcome to the Local Matters family. Okay. Well, thank you, Janice. And I appreciate you. You have a happy Memorial Day and happy Memorial Day to all those who might be out there listening. You know, we're thankful for those that have gone on before us to serve our country. And I know that we're going to get to a better place. We just have to keep marching forward in Jesus' name. Again, that was attorney Tanya Jeffers, and I hope you got something from that conversation. Uh, please join ne Local Matters next week. Uh, we'll have a guest come on and talk about the topic of code enforcement. And I know when many of you think about local government, that is the first thing you think about because you're thinking about the appearance of the community, the tall grass at the house next to you, dilapidated structures, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to talk about all that and how we as citizens can make a difference with that. Thanks for being with us and be blessed. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.